And now, for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, but five, or five. Welcome back to the Force 5 Podcast. I am your host, Jason Kleberg, and if this is your first time, Force 5 is the show that forces a guest to come up with a movie-themed top five list, and then we talk about our picks on air. This week, my guest is Drew from a podcast called Drew vs. the World, a show that sees Drew interview people who are game changers in whatever industry they're in. But before we get Drew on the horn, we've got a couple things to tackle, including some listener mail and what I've been watching this past week. I've gotten a few emails this week asking when I'm going to be reviewing the new Vinegar Syndrome titles. Apparently people like it when I run through those, and the answer is soon. I got the June titles in the mail. They're sitting on my shelf, but I took a vacation and just haven't gotten around watching them. So, yes, soon. I also wanted to give a shout-out to past guest and middle-class film class host Pete, who sent me a list of suggested ad reads for future episodes, one of which I used in my last episode because I had totally forgotten about the Jack Black Ben Stiller film, Envy, or Greed, as it's sometimes called. If you have a movie you want me to review, or you have a fake product that you want me to do an ad for, or you just want to chop it up about movies, get a hold of me at force5podcast at gmail.com, or on social media, force5podcast on Instagram and force5pod on Twitter, whatever way is easiest for you. First up, let's talk about Pixar's newest offering, streaming right now on Disney+, Plus, Luca. Wow, Luca, that was hard to watch. You, uh, coming? We do not go anywhere near the surface. Got it? Everything good is above the surface. Walking. The sky, clouds, the sun. Whoa, don't look at it. Just kidding. Definitely look at it. Julia, a determined red-headed spark plug, vows to win the annual triathlon in her small town of Porto Rosso in the Italian countryside. To accomplish this, she'll need to both beat Ercole, the perennial winner of the race, and deal with sightings of sea monsters along the coast who may or may not be what everyone thinks they are. Now I know what you're thinking, here comes another good review for a Pixar movie, and it's beginning to seem like a broken record at this point, but Pixar wins again. Luca is a very sweet story about friendship and feeling good about being yourself, but I think one of the things I most appreciated about this film was the seemingly small stakes. This isn't about existentialism, it's not tackling the human psyche, it's just a group of a few kids trying to win a race while trying to hide things about themselves that the town wouldn't find acceptable. The characters are innocent, funny, and sweet. There are moments that are downright goofy in very fun ways, and the message about taking pride in who you are is a strong one. Afterwards, my wife and I spent a bit of time reflecting on what we thought was it was trying to draw allegories to, aside from the most obvious colorful observations, and that was a good conversation to have. Again, it's a Pixar movie, so it looks gorgeous. The Italian countryside pops with bright colors, everything looks very vivid. The animation style of the humans is a bit different from Soul and Pixar in general, and the way people moved in here was very fluid and worked for me. Perhaps the best thing about Luca is the score. I really love the music in this film. It's distinctly Italian, and when it was over, I instantly jumped to my phone to add the score to my library, spinning it the next day while I was working. So, bravo there. 
If I had to lodge one complaint about the film, it's that the villain is cartoonishly over the top in both how evil he is and how gleeful he seems to be evil. In my opinion, villains have never been Pixar's strong point, and there's a poignant lack of, of depth to this villain. He just seems to kind of be a dick to be a dick and didn't have any human or redeeming qualities. I also found it a bit hard to believe that someone like this wouldn't have had the shit kicked out of him by the rest of the kids in this town considering how many of them there are, but again, that's probably me just overthinking it. Don't take too much stock in it. It's a really good film, and even when the villain is on screen, it's very fun to watch. So far, my kid has seen Luca five or six times. He gets on his bike in the backyard pretending that he's Luca and that I'm Alberto, so he's clearly giving it a glowing review, and I'm in the same boat. It's a small-scale story that's full of fun moments, beautiful animation, and glorious music. Best of all, you can see Luca right now as it's included with your Disney Plus subscription. If you like Luca, check out Enrico Casarosa's short La Luna, which is also on Disney+. Plus. As a storyteller and a filmmaker, I am so excited to see what he continues to do with Pixar, and perhaps even outside of the animated world. This week I also saw a John Woo bullet ballet called Bullet in the Head from 1990. In a time of great expectation, courage is born in the hearts of three friends, and hope awakens a dream of a future destined for greatness. But now, in a moment of truth, a single act of defiance will change their lives forever. On the night of Ben's wedding, one of his best friends, Frank, is jumped by a local crime boss. The two grab their friend, Paul, and go to exact revenge on the gang, killing the boss in the process. A price on their head and a law on their tail, they jump ship to a war-torn Vietnam. This is 1967, mind you, where they get into all kinds of shit, including tagging along with a hitman named Luke, snatching a crate full of gold, and being captured by Vietnamese soldiers, all while seeing their friendship being torn apart at the seams. I'll start off by saying do not confuse this with the 2012 Sylvester Stallone film Bullet to the Head. This is Bullet in the Head. The lack of proper John Woo Blu-rays is absolutely baffling to me. Action movie junkies like me would pay top dollar for high-def scans of films like Hard Boiled, The Killer, and this one, all which are among the best action films of the late 80s and early 90s. I watched this film on DVD with very shoddy subtitles, which is a shame because it deserves so much better. There are a lot of films that are described as epic, but Bullet in the Head actually feels epic. The growth and separation of the characters feels natural based on what they are going through and have gone through, and it will make you genuinely sad when certain people make the moves that they do, even if you can sort of understand their mental motivation behind these choices. Ben is the glue that keeps the trio together, a man who takes pride in his loyalty. Torn from his bride on the night of their wedding, he's continuously seeking a way to get back to his wife. Frank is the group jester, a well-intentioned, light-hearted fuck-up who sometimes gets in way over his head. He's at his best when he's got the attention of his friends, like a human golden retriever. And then there's Paul, a man who's always been embarrassed of the cards dealt to him, uh, the son of a janitor, and he is determined to make a buck and better his life. The film starts out by showing us their friendship in the most ham-fisted, corniest way possible, riding bikes with the disposition of toddlers with all the style, grace, and soundtrack of a TGIF family sitcom intro or a fucking Juicy Fruit commercial. And then they go and kill some gangsters. Once the trio flees to Vietnam, shit really hits the fan. 
Things are a bit convoluted during the journey, but in short, they meet another local mob boss who has conveniently turned Ben's wife into a whore and hook up with Luke, a good-looking, suave-as-hell hitman who sports an all-white suit and hair to die for. Luke is one of my favorite parts of the film, channeling his inner Chow Yun-Fat in a role that I have to believe Wu had in mind for the toothpick-chewing icon, but Simon Yam just owned this role. Luke takes them under his wing and builds a genuine friendship with the trio, eventually helping them with a raid on the mob boss's compound. Following an insane action set piece, they abscond with Ben's wife and a chest full of gold, the latter which ends up tearing the fearsome foursome apart, barreling towards a truly heartbreaking ending. Bullet in the Head has all of the hallmarks of the John Woo films you know and love. Mexican standoffs, explosions, people just sort of moaning while falling or being upset in slow motion, and a body count that stacks up against the most violent films. The war scenes are impressive with tons of extras, and certain shots definitely felt like they could have won Wu the opportunity to direct his 2002 film Wind Talkers. I don't have any real criticisms about the film other than the music, although that's probably more of a cultural gap for me than anything else. I just, I hated the music. And of course, the presentation of the medium on which I watched the film. I know I already mentioned it, but the subtitles were particularly bad. There were a few parts where characters spoke in English and the subtitles didn't even match the words that people were saying on screen, so Lord knows if I even got the right story out of the film. I would love to see a properly translated version of this with people who actually care about what's being said on screen. Bullet in the Head is an epic tale of friendship and how far bonds can be stretched before they snap. It's a fantastic exploration of greed. It's gory, it's filled with action, but it also has a lot of heart. Unfortunately, the DVD sucks and no one has put this masterpiece out properly, which is extremely confusing. So I'm, I'm hoping one of these boutique labels puts it out at some point and gives it the care that it deserves. That's Bullet in the Head, highly recommended if you can find it. Last thing I saw this week, uh, I saw the first three episodes of the second season of Dave. You told our producer that you have a song that you want to premiere right here on The Breakfast Club? Huh, Lil Dave? Yes. Lil Dicky? So, yeah, I've got this. It's my life's work. It's the best thing I've ever... Um, I'm just gonna... Huh? Well, if I'm being honest with you, I have had conversations recently with my team about whether or not it's ready for public consumption, and it's actually not finished yet, now that I think about it. How about I just rap for you instead? You knew you was coming to The Breakfast Club. So let me rap. You really ready to rap live in front of 8 million listeners tuned in? I think it is 8 million potential new fans, and sometimes you have no choice, and it just is what it is, so here we go. 8 million people that's about to think that you're whack. Quite frankly, I'm a bit surprised at the direction this show has gone in. I really, really love the first season of Dave, a show about a white dude trying to make it as a rapper who gets himself into sticky situations, mostly because of his insecurities and ignorance, but it almost always felt like Dave had good intentions. In the second season, he's kind of dealing with some good fortune from the end of season one, but it seems like those good intentions we saw in the first season are all but gone. He's very mean-spirited, and three episodes in, I, I really don't like the character of Dave anymore. Now, I'm sure that they're setting him up for some kind of redemption arc, but I, I, I hope the show starts showing its cards soon, or I might not have the energy to watch Dave each week. I'll also say that the first episode of the second season has Dave in South Korea to make a song with a K-pop artist, and it's got some dramatic beats that really feel akin to Uncut Gems, which I did really appreciate in a dramatic sense, but it also felt like a completely different kind of show. 
I mean, I, I look back to the first season and there are moments in that show in the first season that had me literally laughing out loud, trying to stifle my laughter at night as to avoid waking up my son. Uh, one particularly with a table that has a gag that even comes back in another episode that even just thinking about it now has got me kind of chuckling. But I haven't seen any of those kind of moments this time around. It's uh, a lot of gross out humor and a lot of just Dave being a dick. So hopefully the season goes in a way that uh, that I enjoy it more later on. I'm still sticking with it for the time being. But if you really like the first season of Dave, the second one, it, it's a turn in a new direction. Speaking of delicious, I'm really bad at segues, but you know what I'm really good at? Eating donuts. And when I'm in the mood for a doughy circle with a littler circle missing from the middle of it, I'm heading to today's sponsor, Stan Makita's Donuts in Aurora, Illinois. If you're looking for excellent munchables, look no further. From sugar pucks to crullers, when it's donut time, do not look anywhere else. That's a little donut humor for you. I was at Stan Makita's and once learned that if you stab a jelly donut in the dead of winter, steam will rise up from the wound. Oh, and uh, pro tip, steer clear of Glenn. He's the manager. Uh, he, he's, he's a little off. That's Stan Makita's Donuts in Aurora, Illinois. Now, back to the show. This is the Force 5 Podcast, and joining me tonight, I've got fellow podcaster Drew Milden. He's the host of Drew vs. the World, a podcast dedicated to spreading information through inspiration. How's it going, Drew? It's going great. I'm so glad and honored to be talking to you right now. I'm such a big fan. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's uh, tonight on our list. It's going to be us versus aliens because we're doing top five alien movies. Uh, but before we get to that stuff, what's your favorite movie with verses in the title? Ooh, um, <laughs> hmm. there's a lot. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna preface this by saying this is not because of the topic at hand, but Alien versus Predator is pretty good. Okay. Um, X versus Sever. That's another good one. <laughs> Ballistic X uh, versus Sever. Uh, Deep cut. Yeah. Um. What is another one? Um. Uh. Man. What's it, you got like uh, the, Godzilla versus Kong just came out. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> Ooh, there we go. That's a good one. Uh, but yeah, that, I think the top one I'm going to go with is um, X versus Sever, actually. Oh, nice. <laughs> okay. All right. Scott Pilgrim versus the world, I guess. Is oh, okay. A... I'm, I got it. Okay. I have to detour <laughs> from my last name. Scott Pilgrim is one of my top 10 movies of all time. Well, there so we go. We'll go with that. So that, that's, that's going to preface it. What I'm about to say as my top alien movies. Okay. Is that Scott Pilgrim. Versus the World is my top, one of the top 10 movies. I know they just did a recent theater run. Have you checked that out in theaters? No, and I heard that you you know, you know brought out the theater for, um, your I think it's your son's birthday. Yep. Um, I was looking into that, but I haven't done that as of yet. But um, um, really just been kind of staying away from the theaters so far. But it's, when it was on Netflix, I think it's still on Netflix, I have at least watched it. Um, in the past, hmm, let's say six or seven months, I've probably watched it about 12 or 15 times. <laughs> so good. It's such a good movie. And it's a perfect lead into your podcast, which is called Drew vs. the World. Tell us a little bit about your show. So um, like you said, um, it's about spreading information 
for inspiration. So the the main thing I want to do is gather people who are what I like to call world changers, um, and they're doing something or working on something or just being something that is influencing the world in a positive light. And I want to share that with my audience so that they can evolve and be a better than be a better well, themselves after they listen to the episode. So I have a very eclectic guest lineup so that people can pull bits and pieces from all different types of lifestyle because everybody has a story to tell and every person's failures or their successes can help somebody succeed. Yeah, you've got uh, comedians on there, chefs on there, self-help gurus, like a whole widespread of people on there. So good stuff. Here we just spread information about movies. <laughs> and you do a darn good job doing it. I, I'm I'm going to say that you you have a lot of deep cuts that I I had to write down and look up. So I, I'm, again, I'm super excited, man. Well, I appreciate it, um, and I I hope to bring some more deep cuts. Drew, you ready to get into this list? Yes, hit him with the hit him with it. You know what's gonna happen? You know what's happening here right now? You know what's gonna happen? Top five aliens. Did you put any, or top five alien movies, did you put any restrictions on yourself? Did you like play within any guidelines or was it just the top five that came to your mind? Yeah, so I actually was talking to my brother about this because I was very, it was very important to me to have this one caveat. Would I watch this movie if it was on network television and I had to sit through a bunch of commercials? That was my caveat <laughs> to all of these movies. Okay, okay. So these are all movies that you would definitely sit through if they came on TBS. Yes, exactly. Seriously funny, I believe. <laughs> um. <laughs> all right. Uh, the only restrictions I put on myself, you know, when, when you think about alien movies, there to me, there are three that popped into my head right away. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. took those three and I put them aside for this one because I wanted to get a couple more deep cuts on my list. I will talk about them in the honorable mentions section if you don't bring them up. But uh, yeah, I, I wanted to leave off what I would consider the big three. And they all came from the 80s. Um, mm -hmm. And actually looking at my list now, all five of mine are from the 80s as well. Really? I, I, it, I went a little bit um, earlier. Than, I mean, not earlier, but a little bit more recent than you. Okay. Well, we'll see if we have any crossover. Drew. What's number five on your top five alien movies list? First and foremost, you're going to hate my list. But first, <laughs> number five is one of my favorite movies um, and a movie that I love since I was young. And then now I'm actually showing my children uh, is Lilo and Stitch. Wow! His name is Stitch. Oh, great. He's loose. He's taking a police cruiser. Yeah. He took the red one. The crazy truck is about to make us jump. Where is he? A place called Hawaii. Uh, oh. That stars um, uh, Devi Chase and Chris Sanders, who is also the director and the writer of that movie. Oh, I did not realize that. Yeah, he and, and Lilo Stitch is basically about um, a girl named Lilo who adopts a, um, a dog, quote-unquote, um, named Stitch um, from the local pound. 
but he's actually an alien that was created by a super mad scientist named Jumba. And they, you know, with that cross contamination, you know, things exude. They try to, Jumba tries to get Stitch from Earth and tries to bring him back, but to Lilo tries to protect him. And then there's a whole like back and forth intergalactic proportions and the alien i love in that movie of course is stitch he's indestructible <laughs> he's you know he's disgusting but he then built he comes from being a monster to having a heart of gold and actually helping the family become one because they understand that ohana means family that's the main thing ohana means family ohana means family that's a, that's a good pick, and one that I seriously considered putting on my list. I think Stitch is hilarious as a, as a character, and you're right. He does have an impressive journey from foul-mouthed, uh, rock-and-roll-loving alien to basically best friend, right? Yes. My number five, actually, that's a great segue into my number five, because I actually think that my number five, Disney took the plot— and then modified it just a little bit and made Lilo and Stitch. I think that they ripped off the plot from this movie. There's rambunctious, foul-mouthed aliens, and they escape a space prison in a ship and crash land on Earth in a semi-remote part of the world, and the aliens are being pursued by bounty hunters who wear disguises to try and capture the escaped felon aliens before they cause too much destruction. Now, doesn't that sound like the plot of Lilo and Stitch? It does, actually. <laughs> But it's not. It's from 1986's Critters. Of all the planets in the galaxy, they chose ours. They hide in small places. This phone is dead. What? They light the dark. Jay, any luck? Just a minute. There's nothing cute about them. They've come a long way, and they're hungry. Critters, uh, Critters is a low-budget B-movie from 1986. It mostly takes place on a farm in Middle America, as the the family that lives there tries to defend their home from these invaders with shotguns, firecrackers, and Molotov cocktails. The aliens themselves, I remember seeing this on the shelves at Blockbuster when I was little, and I was just terrified of the cover because you got these little balls of fur with gigantic mouths filled with very sharp teeth. They get bigger the more they eat, and they eat everything. In the very Mm -hmm. first scene, we see them like just devouring a cow, Uh, (laughs) and then they, they eat several people from this small farm town. Um, and then instead of running, they turn into these little balls. They look like little tumbleweed balls, and they just roll around. And yep. the other cool feature of them, they're, they're so small. Like, well, they start out small. You never know where they're going to show up next. This is a very fun B-movie. It spawned four different sequels, but in true yep. B-movie fashion, this the first is the best. It's not even close. Uh, the director, Stephen Herrick, ended up directing some of my favorite movies when I was a little kid, like The Mighty Ducks, uh, <sighs> Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, and I'm 99% sure he also uh, directed the first Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So, yes, he did. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Critters from 1986, my companion piece to Lilo and Stitch. That would make a great double feature on an alien night. 
So what came before Critters or um, what's that other movie with the Mogwais and oh Gr- uh, Gremlins? Gremlins. It's kind of this almost similar kind of um, details there because the same thing is that they roll around. Well, they pop off the Mogwai and then they become the Gremlins after that. It's funny that you mentioned that because there was like when Critters came out, there was uh, like contention because it, it felt too much like Gremlins. Mm. But the director, uh, like it was in production before Gremlins was even released. So who knows? But yeah, also a good companion piece for Gremlins. Mm-hmm. That's a good. That's a good. That's a good showing right there. Lilo Critters, Lilo Stitch, Gremlins. <laughs> you got it. That's a good midnight a midnight show. <laughs> all right drew number four on your list number four it's a wonderful movie from 1997 um and it has some of the some famous characters that go on to do other things and i would say it's one it's again one of those movies that it comes on i have to watch the whole thing i don't care if there's commercials or not and that movie is the fifth element. Mr. Ruby Rod is the biggest we're here starting out. It's a great honor to be on this talk show. He's so great. Yes, I'm sure you're very excited, but I'm on my vacation. I don't want to be bothered. I prefer to remain anonymous. Here he is, the one and only winner of the Gemini Crockett Contest. This boy is fueled like fire. So start melting, ladies, because the boy is hotter than hot. He's hot, hot, hot. And um, if nobody knows what Fifth Element is, it stars Bruce Willis, um, Milina Djokovic, Gary um, Oldman, and Chris Tucker, a young Chris Tucker, um, (laughs) going from doing a stellar performance, one of my favorite performances he ever has done in a movie ever since. Um, The director and writer is actually Luke Benson. He's he's actually the writer of this movie as well. Um, And the whole kind of idea is that um, Bruce Willis is a cab driver in this like 20, 27th century. Um, and he's flying around and then, um, the super, super being, um, which is played by, um, Malia Djokovic as Lilo, Lilo, um, drops into his, his car and then he takes her on and has to go on this epic journey of finding these stones and the stones actually are um, important because she's the fifth element. So to stop this interplanetary war or this um, other stru- war, other creature to destroy the earth, they have to get all the stones together. So they go on this journey to find the stones and A and B exist. And there's, it's just one of my most, as far as action alien movies is one of my top movies and the my favorite alien in that movie is actually the blue alien she's called the diva and she is actually played by a um european artist her song but she's she's actually her the character that's actually playing her is my one la basco um and she is amazing as that character and the even being on the screen for maybe uh what 20 30 maybe even 30 minutes i'm not 30 seconds maybe even that maybe four minutes she she makes a good good showing um and then of course lilu as the fifth element she was amazing on it as on it too so 
I, that's why I picked Fifth Element. It's it was one that stood out to me. Good call. When I was doing my like, when I was thinking about alien movies, this one never even occurred to me. I, I totally forgot this was an <laughs> alien movie. And I love Luke Besson. I mean, The Professional is like one of my top five movies of all time. Yes, 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 yes. And another great Gary Oldman role as a villain. He's just so good as a villain. <sighs> so good, man. So good. Like he under, oh, man. His his villain roles are under like un, they don't give they don't show no show him as much love as they should. Yeah, yeah. Both uh, The Professional and Fifth Element. Top tier mm-hmm. Gary Oldman as a villain. My number four is one that I recently discovered. I recently discussed it on the show in a review. And uh, it's from 1987, The Hidden. I want this car. Jonathan Miller would never do anything to break the law. I need the key. Thank you. Bye. Very fine, very honest gentleman. Something strange is happening to some ordinary people. Yeah, that's Jack. Real nice man. What do you do, rob a bank? He's a law-abiding taxpayer minding his own business. Killed 12 people, wounded 23 more, stole six cars, most of them Ferraris. If anybody deserves to go that way, sure in the hell's him. So The Hidden is about specifically this alien slug that comes down to Earth and it starts inhabiting people's bodies. And it, it takes over their body, makes them kind of superhuman in that they can endure a lot of physical harm. Like they can, you can shoot this human being now and, and nothing happens for a while. And then while the alien takes over the body, it goes on crazy crime sprees in fast cars while listening to rock and roll music. It's so bizarre. <laughs> this alien, all it wants to do is cause trouble in the most zany ways. He, the, the slug, like once the host is shot up and destroyed, it switches to another body. So you got body jumps in this almost like a live action version of Grand Theft Auto where yes. it's taken over just an old man at one point, and then it takes over a stripper at one point, and it's just it's just so much fun. It has a huge body count. The movie has a huge body count, and it tries to be a serious sci-fi movie, but you can tell that it has a lot of fun with its premise. The supporting cast is great. It has an awesome ending. <laughs> like right, The movie never lets up. It starts with action, and, it, and it's all action all the way through, but the ending, wow. You don't think it can turn it up a notch, and then it does. Uh, just, it's it's crazy. From the opening scene, which takes place on on a bank's closed circuit, like security cameras, where this dude walks into a bank, and just blows people away with his shotguns, and it just you go on a car chase from there, and it's just a wild ride. You've got an FBI agent and a cop in tow to try and figure out what the heck's going on, because you have these seemingly normal, law-abiding citizens all of a sudden going berserk and just shooting people up stealing cars robbing banks it's it's nuts um the hidden from 1987 specifically the alien slug he's never named uh and it's just it goes from body to body but wow this is one of my favorite discoveries this year there's a blu-ray i think it's from it's it's either from kino or from the wb archives and it is Mm -hmm. just i think it's wb it's from the wb archives it's so good if you can find it, sometimes you can find it for like 13 bucks. Totally worth it. 
transfer looks great. But yeah, The Hidden, 1987. That I will put that on my list for sure. I've never heard of it, and I love everything you're saying. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> like nonstop car chases and shootouts. It's such a high body count. It's so fun. Well, don't tempt me with a good time now. <laughs> <laughs> not one to not one to watch with the kid. Oh, okay. I, he he's young <laughs> enough that he he won't remember, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just tell ourselves that. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, number three. I'm just gonna say one thing, and then you're gonna get this immediately. Uh-uh. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. It's um, it's a 1996 sci-fi movie. Um, and basically the premise is that some Martians come down, and they wreak havoc <laughs> on <laughs> on this town, and it's chocked full of stars, chocked full of them. And yep. one of my favorite directors of all time is directing. He directed uh, Night Before Christmas. He directed Edward Scissorhands, one top tier movies. And this movie is Mars Attacks. What is that? White House is coming out live. My fellow Americans, this is a momentous occasion. It is profoundly moving to know there is intelligent life out there. Alien life. And our world will never feel quite the same again. Once you believe. Martians, please come to Earth, please. Once you rise above fear. Annihilate! Kill! Kill! Let's not be too rash. Then you'll be invited. Hi there. Are you interested in the White House? To meet with a new people. It's so perfect that it's happening at the beginning of the new millennium. More powerful than the might of America. One of the craziest movies I've seen when I was younger. I've seen some crazy movies after that. But this movie started my journey on watching anything. It was like a homage to B-movies. And it has Jack Nicholson, Pierce Brosnan, Sarah Jessica Parker, Vin Rames, um, who else I have here? Michael J. Fox, um, Tom Jones, Jim Brown has everybody under the sun just acting in this comedy sci-fi movie that I, again, if this was on and I can just sit down and watch it, I would watch this to the, from the beginning to end and laugh my butt off each time that her head gets switched with the dog's head. Every time <laughs> it gets me. Every time. But yeah. I gotta watch. I gotta rewatch Mars Attacks because I don't. I haven't seen this since I saw it in theaters, and I was like 15 years old when I came out in theaters. Have have it with the eyes of babes, right? Just <laughs> just go in there very like bright eyed and bushy tailed, and don't expect a lot. <laughs> but if you want something that you could sit down and watch, because the the plot is the plot, right? Martians coming down. But it's really the the side acting of these superstars in this comedy almost, this sci-fi comedy that you won't you wouldn't see them in otherwise together. And just because this, you know, director is Tim Burton, they all came together and did a wonderful job. Pierce Brosnan does a wonderful job as a head in a jar. It's just that everybody's good. Jack <laughs> Nicholson, I believe, plays like three parts in this movie. This movie's amazing. I got to find this one. I, I think my wife owns a copy of this. So I think it's in my media room. I just need to break nice. it out and watch it. Um, nice. And I, I mean, you've heard the show. I love a good B movie. I love a movie mm -hmm. that's uh, 
that's playing above its uh its budget and it sounds like this is right up my alley yeah let me know what you you think the the budget the budget box office was 70 70 million 70 million and they i think they made like 100 million or something like that so it didn't have a great showing but it's like one of those cult classics that you just fall in love with yeah yeah all right good good stuff i'll have to check it out i know i got some tim burton to catch up on uh, my number three, for anybody that knows me, this one's going to be obvious. And this was the first one that came. Well, I wouldn't say it's the first one, but it's one of the first ones that came to my mind when you said top five alien movies. This alien's actually made its appearance in two movies, both with the same name from 1982, The Thing. Twelve men have just discovered something. For 100,000 years, it was buried in the snow and ice. Now it has found a place to live, inside, where no one can see it, or hear it, or feel it. I know I'm human. Some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. You guys gonna listen to Gary? He can beat one of those things! Which also was in the prequel, The Thing, from 2011. I haven't got a chance to see The Thing, and I don't think you get to see The Thing actually in the movie The Thing, right? You you don't get to see the origin until 2011, but you do get to see The Thing in the movie. It's just the shape of the thing changes so this is one that you have to see and i'm going to describe it in as little detail as possible because anybody who loves sci-fi movies alien movies horror movies you gotta see the thing in in the prequel 2011's movie we have some researchers in antarctica they find a spacecraft and this alien body frozen in ice and they dig it out to research it and that's how the story begins but this alien in the thing has a unique ability to copy the living cells of whatever it comes in contact with. Meaning, Drew, that I could be sitting next to you and I would not know if you were that alien and you would not know if I was the alien. It can be even uh, something that's not human. It can be a dog, for example, anything with living cells. And when it shows its true form, that's when things in the movie get terrifying. But you know, these people at the research station, they start to figure out what's going on, and that's when things really take a turn. They they try to figure out who they can trust, including doing a blood test that made my my top five scariest scenes way back in episode <laughs> six or seven. Oh, such a great scene. Um, John Carpenter, one of the best horror directors of all time. The practical special effects in this are oh, just chef's kiss. Uh, some of the best, some of the best effects ever put to film. The Thing from 1982. I implore you to watch this movie. It it holds up. It is close to 40 years old, and it holds up. It's a remake of a 1951 or 1952 movie, and uh, wow, this one is it's amazing. I can't say anything more about it other than go watch The Thing. It's so good. On to number two. Okay, this was hard. This was literally hard, but um, number two is a movie that um, with my previous picks, you probably have already, you already know what I'm going to choose here. 
Um, but it has a couple of uh, stars that came and went, and their stardom has not is not as bright now. But my movie is sorry, Galaxy Quest, nineteen ninety nine. In the far reaches of the galaxy, a civilization is under siege. We are all that is left. They've searched the universe for a leader. Stay tuned for scenes from next week's Galaxy Quest. Never give up. Never surrender. You will save us. What they got. Never give up. And never surrender. We're struggling TV actors. You are our last hope. Where's my limo? Galaxy Quest. Now that stars Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, R.I.P., and Tony Shalhoub as an alien. Um, he was Monk, and now he's an alien. So, and the director is uh, Dean Parsat, I believe. So basically, the under what happens here is that um, this it's kind of like these characters um, that were kind of like Star Wars almost. I mean, Star Star Trek. Um, they get older from the younger versions and now they have like a um, they go to cons and this alien race has seen them on like some device devices have seen them across the space and they think that they're the same people so they come and get gather them and try to get them to save them so obviously things ensue um, Tim Allen has a has a couple of parts and some sexual chemistry with Chigoni Weaver. I think they've dated, but Alan Rickman kills this role. One of my favorite Alan Rickman roles, and I know he's, that's saying he's a, a lot. <laughs> yes, he's a playwright. He's been in what you call it? Um, uh, which, uh, I've got the movie Die Hard. He's been, you know, he is um, Harry Potter, like all these different things. But Alan Rickman in this movie he does such a good part of playing a comedian, but also playing a um, Shakespearean actor. It just, like you said, chef kiss. Every time I see him, it's amazing. And Tony Shalhoub as the alien, he's amazing too. Cause he's, he's like naturally kind of like weird. <laughs> so it, it lends very well to the movie and the aliens. I love a part of this movie is actually two aliens. I love the rock monster that's in there. And I love when um, Tony Shalhoub's aliens, um, they turn into the actual alien form and they look like molded uh, snuffies from um, Sesame Street. I, I just, I love this movie. This is one of my top favorite, like not just top alien movies, one of my top 10 movies of all time too, that, you know, Tim Allen came out of the toy box and he went into this movie. It's great. Sam Rockwell in there too, like one of my favorite yes, actors. I forgot about them. Yep. Uh, this is another one that I haven't seen since it was in theaters, and uh, I don't remember much about it. So I probably need to give this one a rewatch as well. Man, I've got two left. You've got one left, meaning that some of the biggest alien movies of all time are going to be left <laughs> off of our list, which is cool because we can talk about them in the also rands. Uh, my number two had a profound effect on me when I was little, and. When you think of aliens, these might not be the first aliens you think of, but in the traditional sense, they definitely are. It's from 1986, Transformers, the movie. You got the time. 
Hold on tight. The most incredible rock and roll adventure ever is here. Feed him to the shark guns. Starring Judd Nelson as Hot Rod. Leonard Nimoy as... Galvatron. And Orson Welles. I am the Beyond good, beyond evil, beyond your wildest imagination. Transformers, the movie. My brother told me, he was like, Transformers are aliens too. And I was like, uh, that's a, but no. But yes, Transformers, go ahead, I'm sorry. I mean, they come from another planet, right? Yes, 100%. And in terms of aliens, there are only a few in movies that are as iconic as Optimus Prime and the Transformers. Now, I, I'm guessing that I'm a lot older than you. When I was little, Transformers and G.I. Joe were the thing, right? They were what we watched. And I was like five years old when this movie came out. I probably didn't see the movie until I was like seven or eight, but... I was a big Transformers fan when I was young. I had the toys. The TV show started in 84. I don't even know if I watched it when I was three or four, but I definitely had a connection with with the Transformers. Now, the TV show, very family-friendly, right? You get to know these characters. They have personalities. You get to love these characters. It's, it's one family of Transformers. And then you start the movie. <laughs> Again, I'm like six, seven years old. And... In the first 20 minutes, Optimus Prime is killed. <laughs> and I remember crying my eyes out when the lights, the blue light in Optimus Prime's eyes extinguishes. There's a brutal scene that it, like he and Megatron, in the first 20 minutes, he and Megatron are beating the living hell out of each other. And Megatron like shoots him through his like his torso more than once and then he throws megatron like essentially to his death it is nuts and this is the first 20 minutes uh for those who haven't seen this it's it's awesome uh the story is set in 2005 so you can see like what they thought the future was going to look like um but there's the Decepticons, who are the evil versions of the Transformers. They assault and devastate Autobot City. Optimus Prime, obviously, he sustains this fatal injury, and he gives this power box to his protege. And essentially, they're hunted across the galaxy because they're looking for this. It's insane. Uh, Optimus Prime is not the only Transformer that dies in this. There's a bunch of deaths in this. It's crazy. It's like a toy box massacre. <laughs> and it's also got an amazing soundtrack. The song You Got the Touch, which was also sung by Dirk Diggler in the movie Boogie Nights, what? is amazing. It's just, oh, it's so good. Okay, Dirk, you ready? Yeah, I was born ready, Nick. Let's go, man. Dirk Diggler demo. Keep the vocals up. You Got the Touch, take seven. Transformers, it holds up. Shout Factory has a new, I think it's a 4K remaster coming soon. I know better than to show my son <laughs> at this age because it is, I mean, it's a wild ride. Kids movies were a lot more, they were a lot wackier back then. Like you could get away with a lot of stuff in kids movies. It's not like it is now. I love Transformers, but I've never seen 
that much massacre in a cartoon, and I have to. I have to. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, and Starscream. Oh, I forgot how good Starscream was. Like, uh, the bad dude's name, Megatron. He, you know, he basically falls to his death, and Starscream, his right hand man, just sits there and laughs at him and kicks him <laughs> while he's down. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> oh man, he was such a piece of shit, but I loved him. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> Drew Milden, we are to the grand finale. Number one on your list of top five alien movies. What do you got? There was nothing. Else. First thing when I said alien movies, I thought about this movie immediately. From 1997, Men in Black. We work for a highly funded yet unofficial government agency. We'll take it from here. Who the hell are you? INS Division 6. There is no Division 6. Our mission is to monitor extraterrestrial activity on Earth. You're all here because you're the best of the best, and we're looking for one of you. Hey! What's up? I want to get some coffee. You want some coffee? No, thank you. I'm fine. Hey, you guys get along all right? One of my favorite movies of all time stars Will Smith, um, Tommy Lee Jones as uh, the duo, the young um, slinger, and then the old fogey. But he's trying to, you know, relinquish his his journey on to the new guy. But Will Smith um, is more or less a police officer that just wants to join this quote unquote secret organization, but doesn't know that it's a part of this bigger journey to help um <clears throat> help uh monitor um extraterrestrials on earth uh and it just has so much laughs so much action um so cameos the aliens in this movie that i loved was the worms love the worms love the worms in the movie love the worms in the tv show um loved edgar that had the he was the <laughs> <laughs> he had the the alien, the man suit. He was actually a bug alien that came and was just trying to destroy stuff. I loved it. Um, and then I think I, I think his name was Jeeves or G or whatever. The the um the I think he was a pawn shop clerk that um Tommy Lee Jones came in there and just shot his head off just to prove a point. And it grew back. I was like, what? And he was actually pretty good in the movies too. And a lot of people don't know this is actually based off a comic book. So this is one of the highest grossing comic book movies of all time. People don't huh. know that. I but did not it's know actually, that. Yeah, it's based off a comic book that they kind of retook. Um, I think it was either DC, Dark Horse, or Marvel. It's one of those three. But they took and they made this movie. And it's, again, it's almost almost perfect to me as an alien movie because it gives you so many different varieties of aliens that you can like latch onto. And also the quick witty banter of Will Smith that he always has. And the chemistry with Tom Lee Jones is just flawless. And Oh my, um, rip torn is in here too. Just, just be doing his darn thing. Like it's just, it's great. It's great. It's great. That's a solid pick for number one. Um, men in black. The thing that I remember most from that movie is the very comedic scene where Will Smith is, He's doing like a written test yes. to be in the men in black. And he thinks outside the box. And I just thought that was, that scene is so funny to me. Uh, the other thing I'll mention, the director Barry, Barry Sonnenfeld is a brilliant cinematographer. A lot of people don't remember that he, he was the cinematographer for the Coen brothers first three movies up until up through Miller's crossing. Really? I did not know that. 
So he did uh, he did their director. He was the director of photography for Blood Simple, Raising Arizona, uh, and Miller's Crossing, and Misery, the uh, Stephen King adaptation yes. that won Kathy Bates an Oscar. Nice. I love me some good Kathy Bates. That was one. That was a that was a dark movie, but I liked it. <laughs> yes. All right, Men in Black. Wow. So uh, coming to my number one, I'm going to preface this by saying, Force Five listeners, don't crucify us. <laughs> Just because we didn't pick any of the big three, we will talk about them. But I left these off because I, I like I didn't I didn't want to be too obvious, and it sounds like you didn't want to be too obvious either. Yes. Because on our list is not going to be the Xenomorph from Aliens. We're not going to have the Predator from Predator, and we're not going to have ET because mm-hmm. my number one is from 1985, Toby Hooper's Life Force. They watched. They waited. Now their time has come. Out of the depths of space, the ultimate terror. Moving, searching, destroying. From body to body, from life to life, from man to woman. Changing, growing, burning for our life force. Life Force is such an interesting movie. So, uh, Life Force is... Toby Hooper's first film with Canon. Uh, Canon Films was like this. If if you're old like me and you've been to a blockbuster, you've seen Canon Films, like Chuck Norris Mm -hmm. movies, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movies like um, Cyborg. That was Mm -hmm. a a Canon film. Like uh, The Ninja movies, like all those Michael Dudikoff Ninja movies. Mm -hmm. And... They had a bunch of money in the early 80s, and they started throwing it around to prominent directors, and Toby Hooper had just done Poltergeist, and they basically said, hey, here's a bunch of money. We want you to make a sci-fi movie, and this is what Toby Hooper comes up with, and this was kind of the last time Toby Hooper got an open checkbook. This was his first of three <laughs> canon films. I could have put his second one on there, which is uh, Invaders from Mars, the remake of Invaders from Mars, but... Life Force, wow, this one is insane. It was billed as the science fiction event of the 80s. And it starts with these space, this um, NASA spaceship. It, you got these astronauts in there and they come across this huge alien ship. I mean, this ship is miles long and they decide they're going to go investigate this. So they get into the ship and it almost looks like and feels like a living organism inside the ship. And it's filled with these floating giant bats that are like they're um, they're dead. They're just like floating there. And at one point, like one of them touches one of these bats and the finger just pops off like they're they're long dead. And they're exploring this ship and they go into this one room and there's three human beings. There's a naked woman and two naked men. And they're just encased in these like big crystal containers they're like, well, we got to get these people out of here. They, these are human beings. We got to take them. We got to. We got to figure out what's going on here. These three beings are aliens, and they bring them on the ship. Lo and behold, they're almost like vampires. They're mm-hmm. energy sucking space vampires. That if they don't feed on somebody's energy, they turn into dust. And the the lead alien is just billed as Space Girl, played by the beautiful Matilda May, who spends probably 85% of the movie nude. And she uh, she is 
walking around and she goes to kiss people and steals their energy. And when she steals their energy, they basically turn into an emaciated corpse Mm -hmm. that needs to do the same thing to survive. Unfortunately, they bring these things to London and they basically turn the city of London into a post-apocalyptic wasteland of (laughs) (laughs) these kind of like space vampires that are trying to suck everybody else's energy. And you just end up the latter half of this film with bodies on bodies lining the streets of London. Great special effects here. Uh, like when when they take the energy from somebody, they just turn into this shell of themselves. And wow, you get Patrick Stewart in a role yes. where he has hair. It's so yes. weird. Yes. The molds of, so they made molds of some of these people to use in their death scenes. And it is some disturbing stuff. The effects, I, they're corny now, but wow, they, they have an effect on you. Toby Hooper's Life Force. If you haven't seen it, it is, uh, it's, it's something to behold. And when you said top five alien movies, this was like the second one that popped into my head. It's like, well, I can't be too obvious. I can't put alien on there. Mm-hmm. We got to go with Matilda May as space girl from life force. Look, let's talk some honorable mentions. We didn't bring up uh, a, the Xenomorph the Zenim- from aliens, obviously iconic, fantastic movies, alien and alien two are, or alien and aliens some of my favorite sci-fi movies of all time. I mean, a- Aliens is like one of the best action movies of all time. All time, yep. Uh, same with Predator, Arnold versus the Predator. So good. And E.T., right? We didn't have E.T. on there, but yeah. wow. I mean, holds up. I just watched it probably a year ago. Still really good. Any other movies that you thought about putting on your list but just couldn't make the cut? Oh, man, so many. The one I really wanted to put on my list that I didn't was District 9. Yeah, it's on my honorable mentions, too. Yeah, I, I wanted to put it on there, and I didn't. Um, obviously, you said the Alien Aliens, Aliens vs. Predator. Yeah, th- those are the two that really stood out to me that I was kind of like, uh, where can this fit? But it, 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 the Aliens and E.T. and Predator was too obvious for me. I was like, oh, and Arrival. Arrival's a good one, too. Yeah, that's on my um, honorable mentions yeah, list too. I strayed away from, uh, and I think it's called Body Snatchers, um, Body Snatchers or something in that realm. But yeah, um, that was another one I had on there. But haven't watched it in so long. I was like, no, I have to have to stay within my criteria. Um, but yeah, those are my honorable mentions. Cool, yeah. Invasion of the Body Snatchers Invasion is probably the, the one Snatchers. you're yes, yes. thinking of there, which is a good one. Donald Sutherland movie. Mm-hmm. Arrival, like you said, was on my honorable mentions. District 9 as well. Uh, Sill from Species from 1996. Uh, Natasha Henstridge, really fun sci-fi movie. Only reason, probably the only reason that didn't make my list was because I uh, had already talked about it on top five 90s sci-fi movies. Mm. And then the E.T. clones, like... After E.T. came out, all these companies Mac. started saying, we got to, yeah, Mac and me, uh, the Munchies movies, Munchie and Munchies, mm-hmm. all those E.T. knockoffs. Wow, good list. And hopefully some of you have some alien movies to check out. Drew, uh, what else do you have to plug? Maybe tell us a little bit more about your show, some of the guests you have upcoming or uh, anything else you want to plug that you want people to see or listen to. I want to plug your show first and foremost because it's amazing. <laughs> 
it's it's I I listen to it all the time and just it's amazing. I'm plugging your show first, and then appreciate it, it. When, when you finish listening to his show, um, then you can go over to Drew versus the World and just learn something. I have again a very eclectic range of guests comes out every Monday. Um, next up is going to be a couple of uh you know uh people that have dived into media and become entrepreneurs um some people who are musicians um some people who have been um actually hosted a ben 10 version of a game show in in um australia so a wide swath of guests and if you want to go and listen to anything on all i'm on all podcast platforms apple podcast spotify if you want to contact me you go drew versus the world.com um, and just slide in dms or on instagram at drew versus the world podcast all right drew thanks for coming on the show my friend of course thank you for having me any crucial aliens that we didn't talk about this week that you need mentioned are you just steaming mad that we didn't include et let me know on my Instagram and Twitter. I try to reply to every comment on every post, so let's have some fun on social media. Also, head to force5podcast.com for the show request form if you want to be on. I'm currently booking for August right now, so uh, yeah, let's do this. While you're out checking the site, please take a minute, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Intro and outro bumpers today come courtesy of Nate Spears. The top five list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch some movies about aliens. Aliens.